Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Today, we're going to hear from Vanessa, a talented marketer who's worked with some of the biggest brands all before her 30th birthday. But when you have that success and you're a Black woman, you have people who will be watching you very closely. Let's start off with you introducing yourself to the audience. Hi, everyone. My name is Vanessa. I currently work as the Senior Creative Marketing Manager at Prime Video, specifically on our Emerging Audiences team, which is basically, I would say, a multicultural marketing team. I'm currently leading all of the marketing that's geared towards trying to get Black audiences to engage with the platform, feel celebrated on the platform. My whole career to date has been in the tech industry. So Google, Facebook slash Meta Square. So yeah, it's been a fun journey getting to this point. I'm based in the Bay Area. Originally grew up majority in Florida. Um, I'm Nigerian on my mom's side, Trini on my dad's side. One of six daughters. Oh, wow. Yeah. So big family. Okay. So I feel like your resume is insane. Thanks, <laughs> you know so I appreciate you it. have to be a bit of a corporate star. Okay. Let's be honest. And when you just said you're from a big family, I'm like, oh, there we go. You're learning all of these negotiation skills, strategies, <laughs> all of this growing up. Yeah. I'm also the middle child, third of six. So it's like literally, as you talk about negotiating, yes. dealing with different personalities. But yeah. Tell us about how you started your career. What did you initially want to do and how you kind of weaved your way through? My background. I mean, it's interesting. You know, neither of my parents have corporate backgrounds. They're both doctors and they both have their own small practices. When I was in college, because my parents parents are doctors and also because they're immigrants, they were like, you got to be a doctor. <laughs> Going into college, I didn't have a good idea of what I wanted to do. I remember like interviewing for my first ever internship, which was, it was a glorified camp counselor. I mean, I called it like, you know, what did I call it? Like educational manager or something like that. But really, uh -huh. truly, it was this summer enrichment program. You know, I was basically a science teacher. It was for kids from underserved communities. And I remember when I was interviewing for that, 
them kind of asking me. And I was probably too honest. They asked me, like, what do you want to do? Like, what attracts you to this internship? And I'm like, you know, this is me, 19 years old, being like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm interested in social impact, justice and equity. When it comes to like what I want to do long term, that like time of the year, that time of my life, I was watching a lot of Cake Boss. Mm, So I was like, you know, I just love watching Cake Boss and seeing someone who's just in the flow, doing what they love and being passionate. So I could imagine a future where I'm anything from a baker to a teacher, but really all that matters to me is being passionate and interested in what I'm doing. I Uh probably should have lied and been like, I want to work at a nonprofit for life, which I don't know, once again, 19 year old naive me was like, let me actually share my confusion with a potential employer. But I guess they appreciated the honesty. And, you know, in the end, I was passionate about social justice, impact, equity. And that's kind of what got me into a lot of the jobs pretty much that I've done professionally. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where my career started. And then from there, I initially thought I was going to go and be a teacher during the school year when I was in college um, at Teach for America, you know, helping Mm -hmm. them recruit potential teachers to join their program. But after doing a couple summers of being a teacher, I feel like a couple things popped up. One was told that I look very young. Mm -hmm. The students would look at me as I was their like peer and it was always a little bit tough. I'm like, no, I'm not 14 like you all are. I'm 20. (laughs) So it was always just a struggle um, to get that respect. And, you know, not to say if I was really passionate about it, I could have gotten over that. But I also um, had an experience when I was interning at that nonprofit where we started using Google tools just to do some basic online collaboration. When I joined the nonprofit, it was literally all pen and paper lesson planning collaboration. And then the second summer, we all just like used our Gmails and created like a shared drive and started collaborating digitally. And it was one of those light bulb moments of, hmm, I thought that the only way to have a social impact to help create more equity is like working at a nonprofit, being a teacher. And it was just one of those moments where it was like, huh, if you help build the right tools and put them in the right hands, there's a lot of ways to have a social impact that maybe isn't immediately obvious. Mm -hmm. So I literally didn't know anything about the corporate world. Like I said, you know, I my oldest sister did fulfill my parents dream and she became a doctor. Uh, My second oldest, yeah, they got someone, they got one, one of six, you know, so their success rate was kind of low, I guess. But, you know, one doctor, that's all you really need. Right. And then my other sister was an engineer. So, you know, more on the like STEM side of things. Mm -hmm. So me, I studied political science. I was like, okay, let me just apply to Google, I guess. This Google Drive thing seems interesting. I wonder if they're doing anything to like help their tools get into the right hands. Let's give it a whirl. And I applied. I had someone who is an older student who had graduated a few years before me. I reached out to him. I saw he worked at Google and said, hey, like, I see you work at Google. Can you just refer me to whatever team you're on? And I'll figure it out once I get there. And luckily it worked. So yeah, networking from the get go. That's how I got started. So multicultural marketing, Mm -hmm. which like I know exists. I just never heard it phrased like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What were you working on when you first started going in that direction? And what does that actually look like day to day? Kind of break it down for us. I would say that this role that I'm in right now is like my first formal role in a multicultural type of marketing team. It's been an interesting journey getting to this point. Like I found myself, especially over the past couple of years, and I want to say it was post George Floyd, but probably even really and truly like before that, like as soon as I really transitioned into marketing. So my initial first job when I started at Google, you know, got that referral from that older uh, classmate, it was on their sales team. So it was selling to small and medium businesses on um, Google ads, you know, so you can pay for ads to run 
on YouTube or on Google mm-hmm. search as a small business owner. And that's just another way that once again, helping create equity. So I was working on that team to start. And after a while, I was like, okay, it's great kind of supporting these small businesses and selling to them and kind of mentoring them around how they can market themselves. I was like, I want to take these skills that I have around ads, marketing, because I'm working with marketing teams every day and helping them build their marketing plans. How can I like flip this around? So I'm the one making the decisions. I want someone to come pitch to me. Yeah. And I decide if we're going to do it or not. So I applied to Google's marketing team. So instead of helping sell Google tools to other companies to use, I was starting to figure out how can we market Google to the world and have consumers want to use YouTube. So that was my first team that I was on. I was in this rotational program that Google has. It's called the Associate Product Marketing Manager Program. I was on the YouTube brand team and it was a team that was pretty much like a social impact marketing team. My first marketing job was pretty much a soft multicultural job. Like We would have (laughs) programs, we would do the Women's History Month campaign. We would do the Black History Month campaign. We worked with nonprofits and did campaigns in collaboration with them in order to shine a light on what they're doing and help them get more donors, help them get more participants. So that was my first ever, you know, marketing job. And I found myself always with every marketing job after that, like kind of always trying to be that person. And, you know, I know it's annoying sometimes as a black woman, like sometimes you feel pressure to be that person to be like, where's the representation? Like, how do we make this more culturally driven? You know, some of it's pressure, but some of it was like, I literally like, that is what I cared about. I was like, hey, I moved the next team I was on was the YouTube music team. We're working on launching a music app. And I was always like, let's make sure that we're representing like, you know, hip hop is a huge music genre, you know, like, let's Mm -hmm. make sure we're representing that well with who we have on there. Where's the black perspective? Where's the Asian representation? Like, what are we doing with reggaeton music? Like, you know, so I was always that person just naturally, because it's what I listen to. It's what I care about, who I follow, who I watch. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to make marketing that I would enjoy. So I always found myself being that person. Like, I was like, well, let me go somewhere where that is the primary focus of everyone around me just to make it easier. Like, I don't ever have to go into a room and say, what are we thinking about for, you know, Latinx audiences? Like, it's already, it's the core remit. So Mm -hmm. anyway, to answer your question more directly, is a team that's really specifically carved out to make sure that whatever brand company that you're working for, making sure that it has specific marketing activations, campaigns that are geared towards multicultural audiences. Also, oftentimes you might serve as like a team that provides consultations and support to other teams that are doing stuff. If they're like, hey, we are, for example, I'm now at Prime Video and maybe we're launching a new series or something like that. And we have to think about, okay, like this series we think could really appeal to these audiences. The team might come to us and ask us like how we're going to help with that. That's pretty much what the job looks like in a nutshell. Okay, cool. I was thinking of this ad. It's it's called Sky Rizzy. It's like an eczema cream. I don't know if you've seen the commercials. I've seen the commercials. Yeah. Okay. The first thing that came to mind to me as you're talking is like, there are about like seven different versions of this commercial Mm. that are geared to different groups of people, largely around race and culture. And I love seeing a new ad come out because they each have different themes. Like there's like a country sound. Then when like the R&B came out and I was like, that is my jam. And then I went on YouTube and people were just going on there and listening to the commercial because the song was so good. And there was all these remixes. Hmm. It's clear who they're targeting in each ad, but how they just like remixed it every time for different groups of people. And so that's the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, I really think that's smart because so many people are into it. Exactly. I mean, that's interesting. I'm like the Sky Rizzy team. Maybe they should, hopefully they've noticed this like trend of people listening to, like they should go create like a Spotify 
playlist or something. And like that's another marketing initiative. So that's me giving them free advice. The simple version, which I would say is maybe that Sky Rizzi example of taking the same thing and just changing the actors who are in the thing. Or let's say you're doing a billboard, changing the models who are in it or changing the music just to make it be more appealing. The type of marketing that I like to do is more even from the very beginning, thinking Mm -hmm. about like, how does eczema as a, as a, you know, this is a hypothetically, right. how does it impact you know, the black community in a way that maybe is different? Like maybe there's different ways that we view eczema or different concerns we have with it. So the total, it's not just changing the music and the actors. Maybe it's the whole storyline of that commercial, you know, so there might be just different cultural nuances. So it's not just the music, the actors and the models, but it's actually like, what is the general thing we're communicating with this commercial based on what these different communities care about? The switching over of people is a bare minimum to me nowadays, especially we live in such a diverse world. It's crazy. I'm thinking about a product like Vaseline. And I remember like only after like George Floyd in 2020 that I start to see yeah. a lot of marketing towards black people, even though like, I don't know, we've probably been the majority, you know, audience of purchasing this for who knows how long, you know, and I think yeah, people like are just thing. starting to catch on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I've never seen a non-black person ever bring up Vaseline to me in any way, shape or form, offer it to me, whatever. So I'm kind of like, you know, some of these places just didn't think about it. So I feel like, you know, right now, some places are in their infancy of just starting to truly, we should be at the next level where it's like really understanding how these different communities are experiencing the world, what matters to them, and having completely different ways of approaching them based on what matters. Yes. So everyone listening, when you hear this episode, I want you to go on social and I want you to tell me, one, have you ever seen somebody who wasn't Black just carrying around Vaseline? I want to know that. I'm curious. (laughs) No, I really want to know. And then two, have you seen this Guy Rizzi commercial? And you know what I'm talking about. Okay, that's your assignment. Now continue to listen. So (laughs) let's talk about your experiences at work outside of, you know, the task at hand. I imagine, obviously, you're showing up as a Black woman, you know, can't help that. But you're in a lot of these corporate environments as young in them. Mm -hmm. My sister calls it like a triple threat. (laughs) Black, female, and young, um, and how hard that is. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about your experiences with that? Yeah, it's interesting where some of it is me looking young, which I guess, you know, Black don't crack. I can't complain. (laughs) But also part of it is like, I don't know, I guess even as I've been progressing in my career, maybe I guess this is a good thing. I've always somehow ended up being like the youngest person on my team. Like I'm advancing to teams that are even older and more experienced. Mm -hmm. I will say at my current job, it's been pretty good because, you know, now joining this multicultural team and this is kind of a sad thing that like I've been working professionally I graduated you know in in 2014 we're now at the end of 2022 I've never had like a black person who's directly been my manager slash boss like I've never had that Mm -hmm. only in my role before this did I have somebody who have any black person like in my reporting chain at all and for any of you who work in corporate these big companies like I literally might have like at Google for example between me and the CEO of Google there's like 10 people in between and it would be like all for the most part all men mostly like alternating between white and Asian men every once in a while like I had you know uh, white female managers but yeah only in this past and then even when I in my last job I had a black woman in my reporting chain she was my manager's manager's manager but she you know ended up leaving the company a few months after I joined so that was very short-lived so I 
I had like four months of having a black person in my kind of reporting chain. So I would say my experience has been, yeah, first and foremost, you know, not having people in my leadership who look like me. And then also at an offsite that one of my teams did, I was asked to be on the panel that was around like diversity. And I was like, sure, you know, why not? And uh, this is back when I was in sales. And I remember like everyone kind of going around, maybe one of the first questions was something like, tell me about a time where you felt excluded at work. And I'm the only black person on, on the panel because there's only a handful of us on the team. The moderator, the person who put the panel together was, was a black man, but otherwise I was the only black person who was on the panelist list. And, you know, people were talking about, oh, you know, when I was pregnant, I couldn't drink. We go to happy hour. Not to say that's a very real experience with exclusion. Um, mm-hmm. And people, you know, giving those types of examples. Then it came to me and I was like, well, the first time I walked into the office of hundreds of people and like there's literally no black person in leadership on the whole hundred something person team and everyone's like looking around the room and being like wait there are no black people in any and not even like leadership as in like vice president or something like that like literally just like even just not in the most junior positions you know like just even middle like no one who managed anyone else it was only people who were individual contributors what we say for people who don't have any teams under them only people who were a few years out of college like the most junior folks and people like came up to me after and they're like oh my gosh Vanessa thank you so much for flagging that I can't believe I didn't notice and I'm like in my mind I'm like that's another privilege that you could somehow <laughs> be here for five years or ever like you've been here and you never even Not noticed, noticed. That. You know, it's like, right. it was like obvious you walk in on day one and you're like oh everybody who's making decisions who's making, you know, and these are the managers and the ones who choose performance ratings. They're the ones who choose who gets a raise, who does this, who does that. And saying that there are like zero decision makers who are black. It's pretty jarring, you know? So I would say that that's the type of thing. And just the, you know, the, not, and everyone's well-meaning. I mean, that's the big thing. Everyone's well-meaning. Everyone, once they learn that, they're like, you know, it hurts them to hear that and they want to do better, but you know, they, they just don't, they're not naturally impacted. And I would say also being in marketing, um, marketing is a very, white women-led function, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Like the CMO of Google is a white woman. So like I've had, she's all the way at the top, right underneath the CEO. Mm -hmm. So um, I did have that. But I would say that like, it's like it is sometimes very difficult as a seemingly young black female when it comes to working with with white women, sometimes there can definitely be a little bit of just a communication difference. You know, I don't I don't even think I'm that like straightforward or that whatever. But I've definitely gotten the feedback that you're too sharp. You need to, you know, be, you know, a little softer. You need to. And this is probably something that like you've probably heard countless times doing this podcast. But yeah. I remember literally on a performance review yeah. and getting something like that. You're too sharp. You know, you need to do a little bit more small talk before a meeting. Like, why don't you ask people about their dogs and stuff like that? And I was just like, right, what? I don't I, I mean, that's giving me like personality feedback. Is that like stopping us yeah. from getting project? Are, are projects not launching on time? Is the business not performing like I get it like I probably did dive straight into business in the beginning of meetings but I wouldn't say that that's something that should like hinder my like ratings you know right Um, I I know in a a role having um, a situation where borderline felt like we were like a couple on the verge of divorce there was always some heart to heart that this manager wanted to have with me about something I was like I don't know what's going on like why is this so intense you know and then being young I remember even getting that feedback around like you're too sharp one of the examples that was given was like a white man, not that they didn't say white male on the team, but they were like so-and-so on the team who happened to be a white male, like gave me feedback at the very, you know, 11th hour of a project that's about to like launch tomorrow. He gave me feedback that was like not feasible from a timeline or budget perspective. And I just said, you know, won't be able to incorporate that, but I appreciate the feedback. You know, something like very, like just clearly said no, but like, I appreciate the feedback Mm -hmm. and got like, 
And I got feedback that like that man said he never wanted to work with me again, never wanted to give me advice again. And what? I was like, I was like, what? So I'm not allowed to say no, you know? So just stuff like that, where people look at you as a junior member of the team. And at the time I was junior, I wasn't just young looking, but I actually was, you know, younger on the team. But also I probably even looked younger than I was. So like, you know, they might have might have thought I was literally like, I don't know, 21 when I was at the time, probably like closer to 25 or six, you know, just getting the feedback. I was like, what? I didn't, I didn't yell at the guy. I didn't say F you or like, I didn't ignore him. I, the feedback was legitimate. It was just not feasible. Like that's it. And then I remember even after the meeting, looking into it and being like, maybe I'm missing something here. And then like, it was not feasible, you know? So the, the, my response was accurate. Those sorts of things definitely happen. People just don't expect you to be able to stand up and say no and have opinions and not just say whatever they want you to say. Oh my gosh. I almost jumped out of my skin a few times over here while you were talking because I was just like about to holler out like, yeah, personality thing. It's like, you don't actually have to really like me. You don't have to want to, you know, have dinner with me or like introduce me to your friends to work with me and to think I do a good job at work and to give me feedback based on that. Yeah, personality feedback is insane to me. It was interesting when I talked to everybody else on the team, they're like, you're plenty friendly. Like I'm not like huffing and puffing in the corner or anything like that. I would go to happy hours. I'd be like, you know, if we're in a meeting and we have 30 minutes and we're working towards a launch, then yeah, I'm going to get to business. You know, at the time I did recognize that I was the only black woman on the team that I was younger than everyone else in the team. I tried to be more friendly and stuff because I was like, I know what it is. I know like the stereotypes. I know that people might be taken aback by a young black woman really out here. And the great thing about the job, every job I've had, I would say, like I've been given a lot of ownership early on, you know, at 22, Mm -hmm. working on big accounts and, you know, working on when I was at YouTube, like launching big campaigns. I remember one campaign I worked with, it was like, you know, something that, you know, Bono from U2 had been at a dinner with the CEO of YouTube and they had come up with it. And then somehow they decided, you know what, Vanessa, you lead this campaign. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm okay, let's go for it. You know, (laughs) so I appreciated having like all of that ownership. But then I recognized on the flip side of that, people sometimes can be intimidated or taken aback. The big learning coming from that was like, I'm like, there's only so much that you can do. And at this point, I just have after that, I just stopped trying. I was putting pressure on myself to try to be more, you know, whatever I was trying to be more of friendly. I don't know. I stopped kind of trying to make them feel more comfortable. That was kind of, for me, a big turning point in my career. It was the first time having that stereotype of like angry black women in the workplace put on me. And it's, I guess, I don't know, an unfortunate rite of passage that most black women in the workplace are going to have. In the end, ultimately, you know, I took it and was like, okay, in the future, just don't worry about it. And the, the thing that is resonating with me right now is this overthinking that's happening. This is what so many people listening right now identify with and people who don't you're going to learn today. It is constantly overthinking every move you make, every word you say. How did I phrase it? Let me go back. Let me like repeat the scenario to myself. It's almost neurotic. All of the ways we try to break down to figure out what we did wrong in just existing and speaking normally. What it comes down to, I think, Vanessa, is that there's a jealousy, particularly with Black women, when we are able to have access to spaces that other people don't think we should have. They're upset, whether it's sitting in first class, on the plane, right? Shopping at a store that has expensive clothes in it. And of course, getting a big project, right? Oh, you get to work directly with you too. Somebody else maybe wanted that. It's a perception of like, how did you get that? And the answer to people, oftentimes the first thing that comes to their head isn't because you're that good. They don't think, oh, Vanessa's just that good. She's so good at what she does. That's how she got it. They think, does she know somebody? What did she have to say to get it? Like it was like a sneaky thing. 
And it's exhausting. <laughs> Sometimes you can feel that need to prove yourself and prove that you deserve it and all that. And, you know, yeah. I feel like, especially like after that happened, this was maybe five years ago or something like that, that that happened. And since then, I feel like it was, you know, it was a huge learning experience. And luckily I haven't, you know, felt that way really since then, because I just kind of have just been like, part of why I kind of, and we haven't even started talked about that, but how I started getting into a little bit of like career coaching on the side where I feel like you just kind of have to believe in yourself the whole I remember even just like going to some of these like black women events and they would always have like a session on imposter syndrome and even if it was something internally an event that we were doing at the company or whatever that they're like telling us how to overcome imposter syndrome like assuming that we all have it or something we're struggling with and I was just like I don't know this feels like a little bit of like reverse psychology I started at some point (laughs) questioning do I feel imposter syndrome I'm like no I don't actually like you have to at some point just be like I know what I can do and also like knowing what you can't do and like being okay with that. Yeah. So tell people a little bit about your coaching and what you found through that. The way I kind of got into it more formally. So I was always that person who would be helping people. And then um, I left Google and went to a startup in 2020. I got laid off. So I started having to figure out, and this is, you know, deep COVID, how to be strategic in my job yeah. search. I ended up landing a pretty good job after just a couple months of being laid off. So that was, you know, when I was like, you know, let me formally start to share some of these career tips and tricks because there's a lot of people right now struggling to land jobs. And as this platform has evolved... And as it's kind of evolved over the past couple of years of doing this, I'm like, I do want to obviously and continue to provide the more tactical advice around, hey, this is what you should be thinking about for your resume here. I even have like a kind of like a resume masterclass that's live right now for free on my my platform. But I wanted to also think about like really motivating people, encouraging people, because a lot of things that I felt working with people and helping them with their job search that I literally would have people like work with me, land a job. And it's like the first job they've landed, but they still are like not confident enough to really analyze that job. Like they would get the job and be like, oh, I'm seeing like tons of red flags, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get any other offers. So I'm going to accept it anyway. And I'm like, wait, Mm -hmm. this is literally like the first job you applied to. You got it. Why are you somehow still doubting your ability to get jobs? So I realized that it's not just the tactics. People can get jobs, but still not feel all the way there still feel a little bit of that imposter syndrome potentially. So, you know, so the platform um, I've recently over the past couple months, like renamed it into Her Abundant Career. I want people to really feel like they're thriving, that there's an abundance of opportunities to have like that kind of, um, you know, that abundance mindset is something that I personally in my life and professionally, like when I was job searching, you know, I was like, I really want to find a job I really, really love. And you know, the hard part about jobs is that you don't know if like that dream job is not going to be open for six months. They're, you know, they're going to post the role or maybe tomorrow they're going to post a role that you love, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have to just have positivity and just believe. And also like you get, like I said, you get job offers, you get interviews for companies and then you're like, oh, this is actually not that great. So and being okay and being like, you know what, I'm going to turn this down because I truly believe that there's an abundance of opportunities out there and I will find something and just having to kind of train yourself to have that positivity. So that's why, you know, I've kind of leaned into kind of mixing it between that like encouragement content and mindset content, as well as like the tactical, this is how you create a strong resume. So that's kind of what it's looking like now. I love that. And I love, yeah, that combination is so important. One can't just sit there without the other. (laughs) You need both to feel like you're progressing in a healthy way. Based on your knowledge um, from working with all these big brands, what are the three most important things you would identify that you've learned through your corporate experience? 
Yeah. So one, don't try to conform. But yeah, being authentic and being, you know, yourself. Number two, especially if you're like job searching, but even if you're not, I think you have to know what you are good at. It can just be like a soft skill. Like, you know, going back to what we talked about me being part of a large family and being in the middle. So I'm like super empathetic. So I'm the middle child of like a huge family. I think makes me a good marketer, you know, like being able to be in tune with our customers, you know, so knowing that that is my skill set. That helps you when you're going into like job interviews and you're trying to figure out what you should be talking about about yourself based on what they ask. Like you need to like hear what they ask know what you want to communicate about yourself and bring the two things together. So having that clear understanding of your strengths um, so that you can communicate them and also so that you can make sure that you're putting yourself on teams and roles that actually value your strengths because you have your boundaries. And part of what allows you to set boundaries is to know that who you are is valuable beyond the job. Um, And it allows you also to feel more freedom that you're not like, you know, some people only reach out to me because like, oh, Vanessa, you've worked at these big name companies. You're valuable and I need to be like you so I can feel value. And I'm like, no, I think I'm valuable. Yeah, like it's great. I've worked at these big name companies, but that's not where my value comes from. It's not from Google. It's not from Amazon. It's not from Facebook. It's like literally from me. Just makes it easier when you don't feel like you have as much to prove. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, such good advice. Thank you. And for people listening, like if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So the best way is feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. If you search Vanessa Williams and, uh, you know, Amazon or Prime Video, you should be able to find me. Feel free to reach out and just connect with me there. Also, I have um, Instagram for my coaching program. It's Her Abundant Career, all one word. Um, You should be able to find me there. And yeah, I would say those are probably the top two ways. Hey, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Like, I feel like this is also like a marketing masterclass. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. A little bit of that. A little bit of that. Yeah, it's interesting. After all these years, I still sometimes I'm like, am I a marketer? And then I'll start talking on things like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a marketer, I guess. You are. (laughs) Totally. Thank you. It's so nice that so many women have decided to share what they've learned in the workplace and help others, especially when they can really relate to the high pressure, stressful work environments that many of us are working in. A friend of mine recently told me how getting a career coach changed her life. She wasn't just forced to analyze herself in her job or in the larger workforce, but her place in the world. I think we can all benefit from a deeper examination of ourselves, and career therapy can be the easiest first step in that. We're entering into a new year. Who do you want to be at work? Who do you want to be in life? Have a good week.